We're, we're in the middle of a series on something very similar. It's this nexus, these places of connection, these places, points where things come together. We've explored different nexus points between heaven and earth and how Jesus is that place between heaven and earth. We've explored this dust and spirit nexus that we are. We are dust and spirit. And we've also explored some negative um, pieces between blessing and curse, these nexus points that occur in the story. Today, we're going to explore a bit more on uh, the idea of God's promise and our plans. We've kind of explored that a little last week, but we want to lean into that a bit more today. Our scripture readings, yes, there are two. It's a story that's just so good, you have to read a lot. It, It hones in on one particular Bible character, Jacob. He's the grandson of Abraham, uh, the first person in the biblical story to receive a special call from God and for a special purpose that lasts, a lasting sort of call from God. God tells Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and all families on earth will be blessed through you. It's God's covenant promise to Abraham and Abraham's family. Abraham's story goes pretty smoothly. He has some, some bumps in the road, but, but Jacob, Jacob is a whole different story entirely. So how does Jacob, whose name would later be changed to the name we kind of know today, Israel, how does he do with trusting God's promise? From Genesis 25, if you have Bibles, you have your, your, your pew Bibles. I always giggled at that term when I was a kid. Uh, the Bible's in front of you. You can grab that. Genesis 25, first book in the Bible. Uh, you don't have to, though. So also, don't panic. If you don't know where that is, I, I remember that too as a child. Like, no one's watching. I don't know where this is. It's totally fine. Totally fine. From Genesis 25, starting at verse 21, we read... Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered her prayer, his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah Gave birth to them. I had a plan. I'm going to hold off on that Genesis 28 scripture for just a sec. I had a plan. It was my first midweek program for middle school students at San Clemente Presbyterian Church some 16 years ago now. Oof. I was hired at a thriving, growing church. It was, it was a really fun time to be there. And it had a legendary junior high ministry called TNT. Woo. And so on my first program night, I thought, I, I, I'm going to do that name justice. I was going to wow them. And if I wowed them, they would come back and bring their friends. The night started with, with everything pitch black. A spotlight 
illuminated a hooded figure. This is really creepy, I know. The hood was removed to, to show a face, but it wasn't a human face. It was the face of a primate, an, a, a monkey, an animatronic monkey. I know, you're wondering, where did this guy go to seminary? <laughs> As its mouth started to move, it sounded like if, if it was from a movie trailer. In a world, right? That kind of idea. The voice continued, building anticipation, until finally the monkey head operator hit the dreaded red button. It was what we called the freak-out button. And when you hit it, the monkey went wild. Ah! Like this. A single distorted electric guitar chord rang through the air, and we debuted our new song called TNT, and it's not the ACDC song. (laughs) It was one I wrote. The night was wild. It was raucous. We played games of the most disgusting variety. I spoke, we prayed, the night ended. I had a plan. The next week, I lost most of my leaders. Uh They said that life was getting busy and and they, they couldn't come back. Some of our students even left with them as well. I had a plan. The first reading this morning tells how Jacob got his name. The name Jacob means heel grabber what it means. Heel grabber. That's a great name. His brother's name Esau means hairy. <laughs> and not the H-A-R-R-Y kind, the H-A-I-R-Y kind. And, and Jacob, some have known and, and observed that this word, this name means supplanter, or someone who, who grabs and, and pulls down the, the person above them. But it also has some other, some other pieces to it. In fact, it's a euphemism of sorts for someone who's a trickster. The oldest brother in the ancient world was given the birthright of the family. He was basically the executor of the estate, and it carried also with it some identity. So Esau was that older brother. He would receive a double portion of the family inheritance. So if you had two kids, you divided the estate by three, and the older got two, and the younger got one. Make sense? If you have three kids, then you divide the estate by four The oldest gets two and the rest get one. And that's how it kind of went. So this oldest son carried with it a certain bit of privilege, but also responsibility. Real quick note, I know some of you might be thinking about what happened to mothers and daughters in those days. There's a lot to say about the birthright blessing, and and even scripture and Torah covers that. We won't get into that today, but just suffice it to know the logic of this idea of the birthright and the blessing. So Jacob... The heel grabber, the trickster, is someone who, with his mother, Rebecca, make a plan together. They plan to trick Jacob's older brother Esau, both out of his rights and the blessing that he's to receive. They trick Jacob's father into thinking Jacob is Esau, How? Jacob wears a hairy animal skin because Esau Esau and Jacob's father Isaac is blind and can't see. And so the hairy skin feels like Esau. And Jacob steals the blessing. 
One of my favorite lines in Hebrew. It's actually funny. Um, I don't know if you'll find any humor in it, but there's a lot of funny parts in Hebrew. Uh, and, it's, and it's here. After Esau finds out he's tricked, he says, Yaakov, Yaakov'd me. Or, Jacob, Jacob'd me. Or, the trickster tricked me. Yaakov, Yaakov'd me. I think it's kind of funny. It's actually what it says in Hebrew. Ish. Jacob's been celebrated by some for this act, right? Kind of, in, uh, kind of a, a thing that he's trying to, you know, make something of himself or do something. And, and he goes and he grabs at this thing. And some people have said, oh, it's God's promise. And so that's what he's doing. He's, he's going after God's promise. You see, God tells Rebekah that the older would serve the younger. This is God's promise. But if you're following the logic here, if you stand back and look at the whole picture... God promises that the older will serve the younger. The younger and his mother use deception to fulfill the promise. What do you make of that picture? The bottom line this morning, the thing I'd like to explore in depth is this, and I don't want to demonize Jacob in this. This is the story of all of us. That God fulfills promises through people not through our plans. Not through our schemes and our tricks. But by God's faithfulness through us as his people. How, why does God do this? God does this because of these three groundings that we see here and all throughout scripture. The first grounding is that God is personal. God is personal. God is not a program or a list of theological principles. Jacob leaves his home after his deception because Esau was so angry, he wanted to kill Jacob. So Jacob leaves. The story goes on. Genesis 28, if you have that. Thank you. Oh, you're so good, Katie. Here, I'll just read it from here for right now. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones here, he put it under his head and laid down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it, the Lord uh, stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. God is introduced How is God introduced to Jacob? Is it by a list of principles? Theological statements tied up nicely in a bow? I'm for those. I love Reformed theology. But God doesn't choose to do that here. God is introduced through relationship. I am the God of your father Abraham and Isaac. Right? God's not like one of those introductions where you meet a famous person. They say, do you know who I am? No. God could. If there's anyone who would do that, it would be God. 
How does God begin? God's introduction is all about relationship. God says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. God is personal. He will go on to do this for another primary figure in Scripture and many plenty more. God doesn't start by telling Moses the name of God. He starts with the people who have been connected to God in the past. Same thing, the father of Abraham, Isaac. It's like an introduction, not like someone says, do you know who I am? But it's like an introduction that says, hey, you know, I think we have some mutual friends. Right? God is personal. God is relational. God connects. You don't know God through principles and lists. You know God through life, through story, through revelation by experience. And also those lists are helpful. <laughs> those lists help us understand God even more fully and together. But, but God chooses to reveal through relationship. Theologian Martin Buber wrote this in his book, I, Thou. We relate to others not as ideas or objects, but as relationships. Our relationship with God, or rather God's relationship with us, is an ultimate example of this. Martin Luther King Jr., in his book, Letters from a Birmingham Jail, would go on to say this was one of his principal thoughts in this, his iteration of the civil rights movement. He would say how segregation was an I-it relationship with African Americans. And how we needed to, the only fulfillment for our humanity and for our culture and civilization was to always be in an I-thou relationship. Not objectifying, not demonizing, relating to humans as humans. Our propensity to create us-them arrangements, to demonize, to use our views to justify unjust and moral means. It's just one way this plays out in the world. We see it in politics quite a bit. It's definitely the atmosphere that we see, but it's also not just in the political world. It's, it's in schoolrooms, sometimes in boardrooms. This isn't what we're called to, friends. This isn't who our God is. We'll only understand God and each other through ongoing encounter with one another. Life-shaping encounter. Not through ideological categories. God fulfills promises through people, not plans. The first grounding is that God is personal. The second grounding is that God subverts our plans. There's a subversion in this text. You may not have noticed it because God kind of just tends to keep on going with this Jacob trickster character. But there is a great subversion and it actually is how it all starts. See, God subverts something essential in the ancient world. It's this idea of the birthright. What does God say? The older will serve the younger. I can't even tell you how odd of a promise this is in the ancient world. Take whatever you think is essential for culture and civilization, turn it on its head, and that's what it would have felt like to those people. It doesn't really ring so much to us, because, you know, there are people like me, the second born, and we're much cooler than the first born. So you're like, I hope you're watching, Chris. I hope you're watching online. But, but this is a big thing, how God inverts and subverts. 
these plans that we make. God would go on later even in the Torah to say, no, this is a thing. Like the birthright's a thing. It's a good thing. It's part of culture. But God will continue to subvert it. And in this way, when God says the older will serve the younger, I think this is where Jesus gets his idea. The first will be last. The last will be first. Right? The greatest will serve the least. With this promise, God puts into us a different story, a different narrative than I am in control, I'm in power, I make the rules, you listen to me. Right? That's not the way it is in God's economy, in God's kingdom, in God's way. God subverts plans. God fulfills promises through people, not plans, and God is personal. The final grounding is this, that God reconciles us. This is the part where it even gets a little emotional. Because those people that are really close to you, to whom there's been conflict, separation, you see, one day, Jacob would pass through the land where Esau lived, his brother, the one who wanted to kill him. And he was terribly afraid that Esau would follow through on that desire. And so Esau, uh, Jacob comes up with a plan, and it's a really, really dirty, sleazy plan. It really is if you read it. He would divide his people and animals into two groups and later into more. And what he reasons, he says, I'm going to put one group up front and another group in back. And you know what? If Esau is really angry and he attacks them, then I can run away. Ooh. It's kind of dirty. It's not cool. Jacob's worried. Jacob goes to sleep that night. And Jacob has another dream. Jacob is visited by a figure. And he and this figure wrestle. They struggle with one another. And Jacob won't let go. And this figure pops Jacob's hip out of its socket. It says he touched him. The word is pretty, uh, in Hebrew, it's actually stronger than that. He struck him in somewhere here to pop his hip out of the socket. Jacob still won't let go. Jacob says, I won't let go until you bless me. The figure says, what's your name, Jacob? Well, you know what? You got a new name now. Israel. The one who struggles with God. Israel wakes up. Esau approaches with 400 men. 400 men. Israel, that's Jacob, is terrified. He then moves all of his family up front. And who does he hold back with him in the very, very back? His wife and son, favorite son, Joseph. Just the three of them now. He's still terrified. More scheming, more tricks. Esau approaches Israel. They meet. There is no violence, there is no revenge. 
Israel is a frantic, rambling mess. He goes on and on. Oh, I'm so, oh, and he just keeps on talking. I'll give you everything. Here, take all this stuff. You can have my people too. It's just, ah. Esau is calm. Esau says, brother, God's been good to me. You don't need to worry about that. Esau comes to him knowing who God really is. The abundant faithfulness, the abiding love of our God. And it's that day, I was told recently by a friend that Jacob, also known as Israel, he comes to the end of himself. In fact, you don't really get much more scheming after that from him. His sons do all of that later in the Joseph story, but, but he doesn't do it anymore. He is encountered by the living God through this reconciliation with his brother. Friends, this is our encouragement today. The encounters with God, they're personal. They subvert our best plans, and they happen through reconciliation. They happen when we come before others and when we hear the words of others who realize how good God is. And that's why we can be rejoined with them. So the question for us is this. Are we the tricksters? Are we the strugglers? God fulfills God's promise through people, not plans. I spent 11 years at St. Clemente in various roles. I was always kind of connected to the youth group. My plan in the beginning was clear. Use big flashes to attract people. I would plan and then tell my leaders what they had to do and what they needed to do to make it happen. My leadership team would dwindle from, I think, a 20 when I started down to three. You're wondering why you hired me. That thriving group I inherit, which, which by the way, we're going to get to, it's not about numbers, right? It's not about numbers. That's the point. That thriving group I inherited of students would go from 40 to 30 to 20 down to 15. God would go on to subvert my plans. How did God do that? I met Julie. Julie was 20 years my senior. She was... Uh, teacher, graduate from UCLA, beautiful, bright woman, but she didn't bring ideas. She brought her. She cared about people. She treated them as people, not as ways to get money or numbers or anything. She cared about me. And this leader, I needed to know that, that I wasn't someone who was trying to to achieve or succeed or get something, but someone who was loved. Through my relationship with Julie and the way she just kind of shifted everything in what we did, we started doing new things. Instead of robotic monkey heads, we created an awards ceremony called the Justice Films where students would look out into the world at various injustices and create films about how Christians were going about to bring God's justice through God's love in Jesus Christ. We would have these award ceremonies where people come, we would dress in gowns and tuxedos, and we would watch the films and celebrate what had happened. 
And by the end of our time together, there were 100 people in a room celebrating God's justice, growing in awareness, and doing something about it. And it wasn't the idea. It wasn't the plan. It was the people. It was what had happened between. It took a while to get there, too. It wasn't immediate. But by the end of our time together, we then had 140 students between high school and middle school. It's not about the numbers. It's about the people and how it grew through relationships, how it grew through a a seeking of justice, how it grew through a common shared hope. That's what it was about. So are we the tricksters, the wrestlers? Are we the people of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Relational, subverting, reconciling people. Here's the interesting thing. God will still fulfill God's promise with or without us. God will use all sorts of faithfulness to do that. It won't be about our ideas or what we do or the music we play or the Kindles we read off of or anything, right? None of it. God will still call out to us not to be thinking in terms of clever plans. God isn't asking us to be clever. God's asking us just be ready. Be ready for the people who come in our midst, right? The people who step in here, not even here, the people who are out there, who God brings across our paths. Just be ready. Because God will continue to do God's work personally, subversively, and in reconciliation. Amen.